Hello and welcome back to Kinda Cute and if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan, I'm your host and on Kinda Cute we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, I had a lovely weekend but I would be lying if I said I wasn't completely consumed with the Vanderpump Rules drama. Now you guys know I am a huge Vanderpump fan, like I am an OG day one fan. If If you're not familiar, when the show first aired... What they did was it was an episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I so vividly remember this. I was in law school at the time. I was a 3L and laying in bed, live watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on Bravo. And next thing I know, the show just seamlessly transitions into Vanderpump Rules because Sheena was in uh, Beverly Hills because she was cheating on Glandy Branville's husband, cheating with him. And then it transitions to her walking through the doors of uh, Sir and Vanderpump Rules was born in that moment. And honestly, you know how when you're experiencing something and you know it's going to be like a monumental moment in your life? And I realize how dumb that sounds about a TV show. I I get it, okay? But when you're a pop culture freak like myself, I just knew it was a moment that was... (laughs) gonna mean something and the fact that all these years later it's still around and still providing me entertainment you know I think I think that says something and um if you're not familiar with the drama and or the show I feel like the depths of it are hard to understand and I think a lot of people are kind of just like okay people cheat every day why is this cheating scandal such a big deal but I think it's just because of everything that we've seen with these characters and they all cheat. Like this is this is common in this friend group. They're incestuous. They all cheat on each other. But I think what makes this a little different is that A, it was a very involved affair between Tom Sandoval and Raquel Levis, apparently going on for seven months versus like a one-time cheating scandal. And B, the fact that Raquel was very good friends with Ariana, who was Tom Sandoval's longtime girlfriend they had been dating for nine years so I think it's like the depth of the betrayal that's really speaking to people and the character that Raquel had formed on tv over the years of being this little cotton candy not aware of what's going on kind of dumb but like very sweet and so this just threw everyone for a loop and not to mention the fact that she had also been hooking up with other guys in this current season including Tom Sandoval's best friend who was recently divorced. So, you know, there's just so many layers to it that it's, it's definitely a moment in pop culture that yet again, I feel like it will be a time I remember. And if I'm speaking about something that you have no interest or anything in, I I guarantee you probably haven't been able to avoid the news of this cheating scandal because I feel like it has been everywhere. And I definitely came to the realization that the reason this friend group is so messy and so entertaining to watch is because there is not a single girl on that show who is a girl's girl. And I obviously, I consider myself a girl's girl. I get along best with girl's girls. And you realize that it's so easy for them to betray their girl's friends because they just don't really give a shit about them. And I've seen it happen over and over again on the show. They're a bunch of pick-me girls. They're a bunch of people who want to be seen as cool in the eyes of the men on the show. And it leads to such entertainment. Again, not people I'd want to be friends with in real life, but the entertainment value is unmatched. Speaking of a similar messy situation, can we talk about the fact that Tyga and Avril Lavigne are currently dating? 
And let me unpack for you why that is also significant and incestuous, to be honest. Okay, so years and years ago, Avril Lavigne dated Brody Jenner. One of my favorite celebrity relationships just because of the absurdity of it. Like they had tattoos with each other. He kind of adopted her dressing style when they were together. And I think he is one of the most beautiful men on this planet. Again, not a good person, I don't think, but like stunning to look at. So they dated, right? Now, fast forward and Brody Jenner's half-sister, Kylie Jenner, dated Tyga. Now, Tyga also has a child with Black China. And as you will probably recall, Black China was with Rob Kardashian, also Kylie Jenner's half-sibling, uh, for quite a while. And they have a child together, Dream Kardashian. So <laughs> it's just uh, like the fact that Avril Lavigne is in the Kardashian-Jenner fold by association is just something I would have never guessed when I listened to Skater Boy the first time, you know? I mean, again, I wasn't probably aware of the Kardashians back then, but oh, the media world can just really throw some zingers at me that I'm not prepared for. And on my 2023 bingo list, if I had one, I would not have guessed Tyga and Avril Lavigne being together. Especially considering, I feel like it was kind of recently that she broke off her engagement with Maud's son. Uh, he's a little bit younger than her, nothing crazy, but they have about a five-year age difference. Um, Maud's son is actually a little bit younger than her, too. I was just looking that up. He's three years younger than her. So, you know, she's just like in a little bit of her cougar era. This is another little insular piece of pop culture thing that happened last week that I was so delighted by. So I am a huge fan of Miss Romy Ashton on YouTube. She is like my favorite YouTuber. I've watched her for, I think, like seven years now. Um, she's my sister's age, so she's a little bit younger. I've just found her so entertaining and comforting over the years. I'm sure I've spoken about her on here before in passing. But this past week, she was at the Billboard Music Awards for Women. And they're waiting, you know, by the door as the celebrities are coming in as like her and her friends as kind of fangirls themselves, you know, even though they are celebrities in their own right. But Lana Del Rey walks by and recognizes her and her two friends, fellow vloggers, Alicia Marie and Ollie. And Lana Del Rey was fangirling over these vloggers in the same way I would. And then she gets up on stage and during her acceptance speech says she's thankful that she got to meet her favorite vloggers that got her through COVID. And I swear, guys, this is just what I, I think I love about the entertainment world, the pop culture industry, social media. You never know who is watching your content. And it's kind of beautiful, a little bit scary. Like to think about my TikToks that have gone a little bit viral and I've never had anything, you know, I've had stuff like 500,000 arena of views. I'm like a celebrity could have watched that on their burner account. Now they probably didn't, but the fact is they could have. And that's kind of what's wild to me about social media and the fact that it really breaks down these boundaries and kind of lets anyone, I don't want to say be a star, but yeah, be a star in their own right. And it gives a venue for reminding us that celebrities really are just like us. I think they still want a comfort watch. They want stuff that brings them solace. It's why so many of them, I think, love the Bravo Liberty world because Remy and her friends, you know, were fans of Lana Del Rey and here she is watching their content. 
So I just loved it. I like to think that there's one celebrity like lurking in the background listening to this podcast. I know it's very unlikely just because of my numbers uh, not being that high, but you never know. Like a celebrity might have seen their name pop up in this podcast, listen to it once, and maybe they're hooked. And if that's the case, I mean, you can feel free to reveal yourself. I'm ready. Let's discuss. (laughs) You can be a guest, obviously. Or I'd also appreciate if you just wanted to keep listening and keeping my delusion going. I saw this girl on TikTok TikTok calling it Delulu (laughs) instead of delusional. I'm like, yeah, that's my thing now. I'm I'm just completely Delulu. Okay, on a little bit of a darker note, Rolling Stone released an article about the filming of The Idol, which if you haven't heard of that, it's Sam Levinson's new show. Sam Levinson did Euphoria, does Euphoria, and this show's also on HBO. He's doing it with The Weeknd, and The Weeknd also stars in it, and it also stars Lily Rose Depp, who is Johnny Depp's daughter. But the title of this article is The Idol, How HBO's Next Euphoria Became Twisted Torture Porn. And this article, y'all is wild because I've always thought that Sam Levinson is a complete creep. I've talked about it on my TikTok a year ago, just about how I think he is always trying to get women naked, unnecessarily so much gratuitous sex and like in a kind of perverted way in his shows. Um, And he's continuing that on The Idol. And so a lot of the article talks about how there was a woman director on it and she kind of got pushed out and then they ended up redoing, basically reshooting the whole season, rewriting everything. And it sounds like if it had kind of gone on the same path and just letting her be the main director and uh, showrunner of it, that it would have been much more women empowerment vibes just honestly a better show but then Sam Levinson and The Weeknd kind of ended up taking over and doing wild scenes I mean again this is allegedly but Rolling Stone is obviously a respected respected outlet this is obviously fact-checked and there's a story in here that says one of the scenes that they wanted to film was having Lily Rose Depp's character put an egg up her vajayjay and if she dropped it and didn't hold it in there, then the weekend's character wouldn't rape her. Sorry, trigger warning. Um, because she wanted to be, quote, raped by his character. So this was upsetting for her. So she wanted to be able to keep the egg up her yoni. And it says the scene was not filmed because production couldn't find a way to realistically shoot the scene without having Depp physically insert the egg. Again, everything we can do with CGI and y'all couldn't figure that out. I mean, it's for the best because I don't think this scene should exist because for what purpose? Again, this is this is my problem with Sam Levinson. It's like, is this actually furthering your plot? This was supposed to be like a female empowerment show and now we have a girl who wants to get raped? Like that doesn't even that doesn't even make sense. Again, trigger warning here. It says there was another scene where The weekend bashes in Lily's face, their characters. Her character smiles and asks to be beaten more, giving The weekend an erection. Luckily, that scene was also never shot. So again, I just want to keep you updated on the fact that I feel mixed feelings about even watching Sam Levinson's shows. I really think he's just gross. Uh... Uh, predicting now there's going to be some Harvey Weinstein shit coming about him in a few years from now. 
And it's also worth remembering that Sam is himself a nepotism baby. His father was a very famous, respected director. His name's Barry Levinson. He was also an actor. He won the Academy Award for Best Director for Rain Man. So, you know, Sam definitely had a way into the business. Let's put it that way. All right, let's get into our first article of the day. Obviously, this first article was right up my alley. It's called The Fangirlification of Formula One by Maria Sherman. Now, I'm a casual F1 fangirl. I don't watch the races every every weekend. I'll watch when I remember. I haven't finished all of Drive to Survive on Netflix, but I kind of know the main players. You know, I'm, I'm generally familiar and I am a fan. Whenever I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is so fun. Like, this is exciting to watch, right? Okay, so the article starts out, POV, you're dating a Formula One driver. Images from the paddock, the workspace behind the pits occupied by team sponsors and F1 employees during a race or Grand Prix flash before your eyes. A 23-second long TikTok viewed over 88,000 times, only slows only to show wags, short for wives and girlfriends, ruffling the lush curly hair of their beloveds, handsome, thick-necked, accented athletes at the apex of their careers. Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer is the soundtrack. These kinds of videos are most commonly associated with pop stars and actors. However, a shift is upon us. Culture moves fast, and the fangirlification of Formula One is here. Vroom, vroom, baby. So, I think, obviously, and this is touched on in the article, is the reason you get these thirst-trappy wag videos about F1, um, which, you know, obviously, there's been puck bunnies, cleat chasers, all of that. People have been chasing athletes forever, right? They have money. They're in shape. They live a glamorous lifestyle. You're going to have girls wanting to get with that, right? Makes sense. I think F1 has a little bit of a leg up in the fact that so many of them are like ungodly attractive and European. You know, they're not your typical square face looking football dude which, you know, attractive to in its own right. But as we touch on later in this, like these boys, these F1 guys, they look like they could be in a boy band. They would make the most stunning boy band of all time. I've said that in another podcast episode. I remember saying that because it's it's just true. So it always made sense that the girlies were going to find them. You can't be this good looking and not have fans. But this article also touches on some of the history of F1 and how it's often viewed as an elitist sport. I actually didn't know that women had ever participated in it, but apparently two women have um, because they also have a separate women's league. But I didn't know any women. It's called it's not called F1, but I had no idea that two women, one back in 1958 and 1975 and 1976 participated. And there's only been one black man, and that's Lewis Hamilton, who's widely regarded as like the best of all time the goat he's a seven-time world champion but he's the only black man to ever participate it is a largely white male dominated sport and there's been over 900 drivers across its 70-ish years that it's been in existence this article lays out another reason why this fangirling came to be particularly in the u.s So back in 2016, Formula One as a whole was purchased by an American company called Liberty Media. They purchased it for $4.4 billion. And I'm sure this was much the ire of a lot of European fans because it's always been sort of this European bastion of like elitism, honestly, and just um, 
snobbery and almost anti-American in a way and not wanting to be related at all to you know, the Daytona 500. It's all luxury cars. You know, you have your McLarens, you have your Mercedes. I don't even think people liked Red Bull coming in because it was sort of taking down the image of it a little bit, even though Red Bull is always one of the top teams lately. So when Liberty Media, this U.S. company, stepped in, its viewership had dropped 40% between the years of 2008 and 2016. So they were kind of not working with the best time period, right? And I didn't know this, but F1's fan base is apparently twice as large as the NFL, which makes sense because it's more global. But the NFL brings in eight times more revenue annually. So as this article puts it, Americans love sports and they're going to put their money behind it. So Liberty Media made the really smart choice of appealing to viewers in the U.S. because they realized that they were going to spend the big bucks. And they actually tried to make the sport less sexist, allegedly, because they got rid of um, grid girls, which were just women who would display driver's numbers next to their cars at races. They would, you know, troop around the pit lane. Again, I think we still have this in our American racing i.e. NASCAR, but they also made some really smart choices as well because they let the players have social media, which in the past there had been a lot of restrictions. So the players, like it was harder for them to become celebrities in their own right on social media. And then once this happened, the floodgates just opened. They were able to go ham online and just become way more accessible celebrities. But the biggest thing they did was that they partnered with Netflix and they made the docuseries that I just spoke about earlier, Formula One Drive to Survive. That show came out in 2019. And to me, that was the smartest thing they could have done. I read somewhere that tennis is going to have a similar Drive to Survive show format. And I think that's going to revolutionize tennis as well. Uh, because I think tennis similarly has been viewed as a little bit stodgy and obviously there's a lot of Americans who follow and like tennis, but I think this is going to bring it into such a bigger realm of, again, viewership, fangirls. There's a lot of attractive tennis players and just seeing their lifestyle they live, they are also paid well. It's, it's definitely going to bring in a whole new audience. I also thought this was an interesting take saying that it has a low barrier to entry which is appealing to women. It says, with football, baseball, or other big sports in America, men have made it their thing. There are high walls to get in. Traditions around how you watch these sports and how you behave. But I don't know if that's so true. Like, I think it's very easy for women to get into football as well. Um, It says, with Formula One, women don't have to play into this culture that's already very prevalent in America. They don't have to name the 1983 Super Bowl championship title winners in their plays, for example, to participate. But I think, as this article points out, another big thing is that it's just way easier to keep track of because there's only 20 drivers at any given time because there's 10 set teams in F1 and each team has two drivers. So that alone, it's like, you know, the players, right? It becomes much more like a reality show itself because you know, the characters involved with the NFL. There's so many players and I think it's just harder to get a grasp on the whole thing, kind of even know who you should be rooting for. Whereas this it's, it's much easier to kind of pick your player, and be invested in a team. This article also taught me the depths of fangirlship around this. I did not realize that there was a big fan fiction element to F1. For example, one girl wrote a series called Throttled, which is a romance novel, and I have to say, amazing name. 
Um, and it says that it has Shades of After, which was a book and film franchise loosely inspired by Harry Styles. I tried to watch the first After movie. That was literally one of the worst things I've ever watched. I couldn't even finish it. It was so cringe, so bad. I mean, I support fan fiction like Girlies Do Your Thing, but that movie, absolutely not. This story also tickled me. So there's a girl called Gabriella Copera, and almost 10 years ago, she became fangirl famous in One Direction circles because she made a vomit shrine on the side of a ro- the road where Harry Styles allegedly puked. And this is hilarious to me because I so vividly remember this. Like, this was all over Instagram, all over online about this vomit shrine. Like, people thought it was hilarious, but also kind of showed the lengths that girls were willing to go to. And people, I mean, are still on that level when it comes to Harry Styles, let's be real. But it says that months later, sharing her dad's lifelong love of cars, she took a job in the automotive industry. When Formula One entered her periphery, it became an easy obsession to fill the boy band size hole in her heart left by One Direction when the band went on hiatus in 2015. She says, I got into Formula One when Ferrari signed Charles Leclerc in 2019. I thought it was really cool that they were trying to introduce young drivers to the grid. It was this intersection of cars and boy band looking guys. In many ways, F1 has taken the place of 1D in her life, with one very real exception. People are shocked that I'm into Formula 1. I definitely have to talk to very particular people about it. If I tweet about it, some upset guys are going to come get defensive and be annoying on the internet. It's nice to talk to other girls about it because it feels lighter. They're not judging others for it. And to me, this shows that there's always going to be a boy band niche to fill, right? I don't think our collective girlhood culture can really thrive without having a place to put their obsessions and I think that's beautiful I never want that to stop I hope there's always a void to be filled with it so I don't know who's going to be the next Harry Styles obviously we very much still have Harry Styles looking beautiful and stunning so that hole's not quite there yet but that hole is always going to have to be filled And I wish I could somehow predict like what venue is going to take it next. Maybe we're just going to see F1 continue to get larger and larger and become even more obsessive. I will say another barrier, though, to F1's entry is just the sheer cost of tickets. I really wanted to go when it was in Miami. Guys, the tickets are so expensive. I mean, they also make you buy like a three-day pass, So it'll be like a thousand dollars for, you know, this one pass. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I could afford to buy that for myself, but who else is going to want to come with me? Like, it's not something we can really do with my family of six and a cost, you know, it's, it's cost prohibitive. So concerts are getting to that level too. Honestly, you see all of these stars like Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Harry Styles selling tickets at a price point that I just don't even understand how young girls are affording it. Um, so I'm fascinated to see kind of where that goes down the road. Sorry, you guys know I will pontificate on fangirl culture whenever I have the chance. So this, this was just, again, right up my alley. I couldn't not speak on this. All right. Next up, we have 15 Glorious Chaotic Minutes with Drew Barrymore by Danya Isawai. I love Drew. I love everything she has to say. She's one of those people I would just love to sit down with and chat with, like, Danya got to do and to go back to Miss Remy Ashton Miss Remy Ashton recently did a segment um on Drew's show she did a cooking segment and wow she's just she's living my dream life honestly 
So Danya says, hi, Drew. I'm so excited to chat with you. And Drew says, oh, that's so nice of you to say. I have no objectivity or perspective. I'm just someone who beats the shit out of themselves trying to get it right. And she says, well, it seems like you get it right almost all of the time. And Drew says, that's so funny. I don't feel that way at all. But I'll be very grateful for you to say that. And I'll take it into my heart and never my ego. Then I'll go back to self-flagellation. Thank you. Like, how can you not love her? Okay, so her least favorite chore is vacuuming because this is promoting Grove, a cleaning company. So there's a lot of domestic cleaning talk throughout this. Um, She says, I love being eco. I made a promise to my best friend, Cameron Diaz, that I would become eco. (laughs) I guess just means like eco-friendly. She says, she's been chasing me around for 25 years about it, and I needed to do something to show her how grateful I was. I was like, it's not going to be a present. It's going to be a lifestyle change. She was like, turn your water off when you're brushing your teeth. Shut off your pool heater. Turn off your lights. Get a Prius. And I was just, sorry, is your camera on? Do you want me to turn mine on? (laughs) Because they're on Zoom. And I guess Drew had her camera off. And she says, fuck it. I look like shit. And Danya's like, you do not look like shit. And she goes, I just came from a workout and I haven't washed my hair in six days. Wait, it looks so good. What's the secret? Oh, there's so much like dry shampoo and L'Oreal Magic Root in there. Don't even start. I mean, I love that she uses L'Oreal Magic Root, which is like my mom uses that. It's kind of low budge, you know, just to cover your gray roots. So then she goes back to saying, I made this promise to Cameron. I really had to get on. I got a composter. I changed all of my cleaning products. Um, And she talks about how she's working with Grove, blah, blah, blah. And she says um, (laughs) about creating scents. She goes, I wanted one that was more fruity and floral because there's always that customer. And I'm a dirty hippie who wants woody cedar patchouli. And I agree. I love a woody scent. And then she talks about how she kind of vacillates between being in this space of not really taking care of herself and eating like garbage, but then, you know, really looking after herself and being eco-friendly and just how she vacillates between the two. And she says, don't get me started on the takeout plastic. I keep my house to such perfection with plastic. Then I get my takeout and I'm just like, ah, I feel like a plastic cuckold, this dirty, cheating, horrible person. And I mean, haven't we all felt that way? Shit. There's sometimes I think about all the shit I just throw away and I'm like, oh, cringe. And Danya says, even when you're talking about cleaning products, you have such a zest for everything. And Drew says, a zeal? And she goes, yeah, zeal. You have this aura of happiness. What's the secret that the rest of us maybe haven't unlocked yet? She says, I fail a lot, but I think the little things are just as important and they might even be the big thing. Just knowing I'm on the right path and not being a dirty bird for a minute. If you trade a bad habit for a good habit or you break a cycle or, you know, like my desk, I'm going to show you my desk right now because it's a shit show. So she shows it and there's books and paper everywhere. Then Danya shows her her desk. And then Drew is like, I'm going to show you my bathroom. And so she gets up, goes to her bathroom, shows all of her makeup supplies, brushes and products that are strewn across the sink counter, which again, so related to this. I'm looking over at my vanity right now and it is a shit show because I'm a little product hoarder. I am a dirty bird. My family calls me pig pen. Okay. Because I always have so many products on. They're self-tan over everything. Everything sticks to me like Velcro. Just constantly pet fur. Like little fuzzies in my hair. Makeup just smeared over everything. I must just touch my face a lot. Because I swear there's makeup stuck in my pop socket. That's just perpetually stuck there. I know this is gross. But I'm just saying I like when people talk about this openly. Because girl like this is me. Okay. (laughs) So I just love Drew. I hope you guys enjoyed that too. So much fun. What I would do for 15 minutes to speak with her. 
Okay, let's get to our blind item of the day. So because we were talking about the fangirlification of F1 and we were talking about Lewis Hamilton, I thought it was only fitting we did a little Lewis Hamilton themed blind item. So these are, as usual, from Crazy Days and Nights. They are blind items, not journalism. Take them with a grain of salt. So our first one is from December 8th, 2013. So like almost 10 years ago. And if you don't know, Nicole Scherzinger and Lewis Hamilton dated for a while, on and off, on and off. They had a big thing going on. So this blind says, before there was Lewis Hamilton, there was this A-plus list rapper slash producer slash everything else who was engaged at the time, but made sure our female celebrity slash singer was well taken care of. Okay. And the A-plus plus list rapper it's speaking about is jay-z so it's saying before there was lewis there was jay-z who was engaged at the time but made sure that nicole was taken care of now nicole scherzinger was in the pussycat dolls if you're not familiar with her watch her architectural digest i i enjoyed her her open house um open door sorry so clearly this blind item is talking about the past because beyonce um, and Jay-Z got married in 2008. They were engaged in 2007, actually on Jay-Z's birthday, December 4th. So this is clearly insinuating that Jay-Z was cheating on Beyonce with Nicole. And we know that there was infidelity on the part of Jay-Z, right? There was the famous elevator fight between him and Solange. Beyonce's written about it in her songs. I believe he's even admitted it in interviews. Okay, so this next blind is from May 22nd, 2015, and it says can. This A-list athlete who is not an athlete in the traditional sense says his celebrity ex-girlfriend hooked up with a now-married man shortly before he got married to an A-list celebrity and that the man almost dumped his now-wife just a few days before the wedding. So I guess Lewis was talking about this at can. So Lewis was saying that his ex-girlfriend, Nicole, hooked up with now married Jay-Z before he got married to Beyonce and that Jay-Z almost dumped Beyonce a few days before the wedding. Which, again, if that's true, is just wild. And the timing of this is also interesting because remember how I said the first blind was from December 8th, 2013, and the second one was from May 12th, 2015. Well, notably, between this time period, on May 5th, 2014, that's when we had the Solange Jay-Z elevator fight. So I wonder if what happened was this cheating all happened back in 2007, you know, that time period when they got engaged, 2008, but it all kind of came out in 2013, 2014. And that's why Solange was so pissed. So to me, this confirms in my mind, that the elevator fight was over Nicole Scherzinger. And I don't know if that's ever been discussed or confirmed, but I'm convinced because so many people have said it's Rachel Roy, the fashion designer, not Rachel Ray, the chef. And I'm, I don't know. I'm like fully convinced it's Nicole. Let me know what you think because that's the train I'm on. And I, I've done some Google searches and again, I, I don't see a lot of people thinking that, but it makes perfect sense to me just because of the timing of it okay we've made it to our legit shit for the day y'all this is a food item i saw it on tiktok i made a tiktok about it actually you can follow me at bailey event and again reminder to please rate and review subscribe to this podcast share it with a friend tag me on your instagram if you haven't already i would love to see that love to speak with you guys 
And it means a lot to me when you share it with a friend. Um, Okay, so it's taking ice cream and putting it in a fruit roll-up. Just like a little dollop, rolling it up, and then eating the fruit roll-up with the ice cream in the middle. And she used a red fruit roll-up with mango ice cream. And I got the mango ice cream from Haagen-Dazs. Holy shit, guys. Like, Haagen-Dazs always slaps. The mango flavor is so good if you are a mango fan at all or even if you like peach ice cream please try the mango flavor anyways at first I wasn't really into it I took a bite and I didn't like how crunchy the fruit roll-up gets it gets like brittle and hard and I almost feel like ice cream on its own and fruit roll-ups on their own are just kind of perfect foods like I really enjoy both of them and I was thrown off by it becoming crunchy but I've come around like I've eaten it a few more times and there's something really delightful about it I will still say I would think I would like it better if it stayed chewy because I love mochi I love the texture of like mochi ice cream how it stays soft and it has that little chew to it and then the cold of the ice cream so it's kind of giving me that element but crunchy so I just again I need you guys to try it and share your thoughts on it because it's really interesting and it's crazy how fast the fruit roll-up freezes. Now I want to try it with a fruit roll-up because I'm a fruit roll-up girl. I'm like a gusher fruit roll-up girl first and then, or no, I'm sorry, gusher fruit by the foot and then fruit roll-up. So I want to try it with fruit by the foot. Uh, anyways, all right. I'll see you guys soon. Bye.